Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside chats, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside chats, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. Welcome to the stage, everybody. I'm going to give a quick introduction. So Danny, I've told people your name. Some people will recognize you, but for those who don't, could you please introduce yourself and tell everybody what to expect from this event today? I am Danny Thompson. I spent over 10 years of my life frying chicken in a gas station, and I ended up learning how to code. I started on freecodecamp.org and used other resources like Scrimba, and I love the platform. And from there, I went to landing my first job as a software engineer. I've now helped several hundred people land their very first jobs in tech. I've recently started a new role at Google. So um, it's kind of cool to say the G word. And uh, I finally get to say, it, you know, uh, even though my beginning wasn't ideal, my ending is right where I want it to be. And that's why I always tell people unconditionally, your beginning doesn't have to be your end. And you are the author of your story, and we can still get to writing because the pages are still there. And uh, I highly, highly recommend that. And everyone that has started this learning path or they're growing through this learning path, you're doing an incredible job because you're learning a very in-demand set of skills. And I can't tell you, even though there may be some issues here and there, this industry is booming for developers right now, and you can fill that gap. That's kind of what we're talking about today with career questions. So the, the goal of today is to give you actionable and tangible advice that you can actually do things to make things happen. Maybe even two things that really stand out about you, Danny, which I'm sure you have a broad range of knowledge, but you pretty much wrote the book on growing a Twitter account. And I'm sure that's had some very positive impacts on your career and the people who might have read that book. I'm sure you've heard from them that it's helped them in ways too. So questions about growing an audience, I think, are on the table, right? I would say there's nothing off the table. We can talk about if you if y'all want to talk about Legos, like we can talk about some Legos. I'm not worried about that. Whatever I can answer that will help you. Let's let's ask that question. So whether it's career, whether it's audience, whether it's networking, all of that's fine with me. He was a question for Danny. Just raise your hand. That's kind of the cool thing about this is you don't necessarily just have to ask the question in stage chat. You can, but if you want to come up, you can request to speak and we'll bring you up and we can find out who you are and answer that question too. It's a great way to network as well. Yeah, please. We're super friendly up here. Well, I don't hey, know about I'm, Alex, but you know, uh, we got something in the stage. I can't talk because of training, but which programming languages did you focus on? I started with the holy trinity of programming, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And the way that I always explain that, no matter what it is, like what industry you want to be in, my answer is literally always the same, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And here's why. I think education creates a window, and that window you can peer through. When you ask someone who's never written a line of code what they want to do in the industry, like, do you want to work in mobile development or backend? They don't know. They've never developed. They don't know what it really entails. So if you send them on a course to learn HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, within about a month, 
they're going to have a very, albeit limited, basic fundamental understanding of what HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is. They will understand in that month, hey, I really like making these buttons, or I really like designing this front of this website, or I like putting this content here, or at least by experiencing through JavaScript to say, you know what, I really don't like making the aesthetics of a website, but I do like this whole logic that goes behind making these things work. Maybe I will enjoy the back end. Maybe I will enjoy the front end. Or maybe they'll realize, you know what? I hate both. Maybe I should check out mobile development. But the theory is if you've at least touched some code, if you've at least created something, if you've done something, if I were to even speak to you about Python on a very fundamental level, you will understand a lot of those concepts. You won't understand that otherwise unless you start somewhere. So HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is always the place that I advise people to start, even if they want to start programming in you know, Golang or whatever it may be. I always advise that. And from there, you can then dictate or, or determine where you want to go. So I started with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and I actually started learning Python after that. I really love Python. I enjoyed Python a lot. The problem was in Memphis, Tennessee, there were zero Python jobs. And that was when I started learning something. And it's one of my biggest rules when it comes to development. Learn the demands. Write this down. Learn the demands of your local market, and you will never run out of opportunities. Meaning, yes, right now we're in a virtual world where a lot of people are remote hiring. I'll be honest. And this is me being realistic. I see a lot of that dying down probably by next year, regardless of what recruiters may say. I have a feeling a lot of companies are going to go back to like in-office culture, which I think is foolish. But if you know the demands of your local area, you have a leg up on other individuals. And by learning them, you will never run out of opportunities. And so for me in Memphis, there were zero Python jobs. Now, could I have moved somewhere and got a job in California or New York, wherever else? Possibly, theoretically, maybe. But by knowing what Memphis needed, I was able to create opportunities here. And so from Python, I pivoted to Java. And Java Angular was the stack that gave me my career. And I turned down six jobs in tech before I've accepted my first job. And it was with that stack. Now, Memphis is not necessarily a Java town. It's not. It's a C-sharp town. But the companies that I actually wanted to work for used Java. And I'm glad it worked out because I'm stubborn, but I'm glad it worked out because if it didn't, this, would be a, this wouldn't be a rags to riches story, be rags to rags. It worked out for me. But the thing was, by knowing Java Angular, all the major companies that I wanted to work for, I was able to have conversations with. I was able to negotiate with. I was able to create opportunities with. So knowing that local demand will set you apart. Now, depending on where you are. Some areas, PHP is thriving. Some areas, Node is king. Some areas, Python is where it's at. It really just depends on where you are on this big globe and what opportunities you can create from that. Amazing. We've got Tarek asking to come up on the stage. So come on up, Tarek. Hey, Alex. Uh, hey, Danny. Thank you so much for giving me this chance. I have one simple question, and that is, uh, Danny, in your opinion, like, how would you compensate for the lack of experience in your resume? For example, you're, you're a fresh grad student or you're someone that never went to school and you know learned programming on your own and self-taught which which is the case for most of us when writing that resume how would you showcase your experience and your growth as a developer thank you that's a really good question Tarek and the first thing I would say is for those that don't know how to 
line up their resume or LinkedIn's. I have a LinkedIn series that is geared towards beginners um, that are trying to break into the industry. It's four episodes where I interview four different hiring managers. It is completely for free. I threw it on YouTube. I don't want to charge anybody for it. And it will show you how you need to present yourself, but it also has a bunch of tips on what hiring managers actually look for when looking at your profile and things like that. And it's led to hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds hundreds of people landing the first jobs in tech. Like I get messages daily from people finally landing jobs in tech. Highly, highly recommend checking that out. If you do nothing this weekend, maybe pop that in and, and watch that playlist. It'll probably change the entire trajectory of your career. But one thing I would say when it comes to presenting yourself, it's one big thing. You are valuable, right, Tark? You are very, very valuable. How do you explain to me that you have value? How do you explain to me that you have problem-solving skills that could be an asset to my company and be more of a strong investment as opposed to a strong risk? Ways you can do that are displaying projects that you have made, displaying projects that showcase your ability to code. Now, you don't need to put every single YouTube tutorial you've ever done. You don't need to put every scrimble tutorial you've ever done on there, but you need to post ideas that are different. So one thing that I always say is don't ever show or talk about in an interview like, oh, I created this Instagram clone. That's a very impressive project. Do not get me wrong. But the problem with things like that is they know what Instagram is. So when you're in an interview and the hiring manager hears that, they almost dismiss it, even though this is a big project to take on, because they don't need to ask you anything clarifying because they already know it. They know what Instagram is. They know what Twitter is. That doesn't really invoke questions. But if you were to do something different, here's a good example. I was speaking at a university in Canada and a student um, that I was giving the talk to um, spoke up about this. They created a Korean language learning application. That is something different to where they're going to ask more clarifying questions like, oh, that's interesting. How did you force out the words? Did you use an algorithm? How did you randomize it? Where were you storing this? Those clarifying questions allow you to talk more about your strengths. The more you can talk about your strengths, the more you control the conversation. And that is key when in an interview, when in LinkedIn, when in a resume. The thing with resumes in particular is you have a very predetermined amount of space that you can use. How do you showcase that? The other thing is, on, especially on a resume, and you can write this down, when you write about your job experience and your previous job experience, even if it's not in tech, never write about what the basic role is. And the example I can give you on a fundamental level is, let's say you're a cashier. So often do I see people write, I was a cashier. I rang people up on a register. I counted money. Of course you rang up people on a register and counted money. I'd be more shocked if you didn't, right? I know that's there. But if you worked that job for two years, you showed someone somewhere something that you are great at that job and that you earn your paycheck. What was it? Did you upsell customers? Did you reduce spoilage? Did you help uh, the, the reduce the, the turnover rates? Did 
what did you do? Give me something quantifiable. Give me achievements. If you've been somewhere for two years, three years, four years, one year, you've done something to impress somebody in a position above you. Talk about it. I don't need to know your basic job duties. I need to know what you've been good at. This is, you know how people say, oh, humble brag. This is where you humble brag. Talk about yourself. Toot your own horn. Give people a reason to remember and never forget Tarek. And if you do that, you will find yourself with more opportunities than ever. The other thing is, especially as a beginner, one thing that I've always advised people is to add one project onto your resume that you're super, super proud of. Like this is like your, your Mona Lisa level project, right? Like it combines all the technologies you own. When you show people this code, it proves that you know what you know. Like this is where you are unstoppable. Talk about that before your job experience. The other thing is when you see a job listing, try to match the keywords in that job description because most companies use something that is three letters, ATS, automatic tracking software, where when you submit a resume, the software scans your resume. If it does not match a certain amount of keywords, let's say they have the percentage at 80%. If your resume doesn't match 80% of the keywords, it is not going to pass to be seen by a human being. So you need to customize that resume every single time that you're submitting it. But the other thing is, and this is the bigger one, before you start mass applying with resumes, fix your LinkedIn profile. Your LinkedIn is your opportunity to stand out as opposed to a blank piece of paper that you submit. Your LinkedIn allows you, if you create it properly, it will land you in more searches than you actually applied for. But the other thing with that is most of the opportunities I've ever got, I've never applied for. Most of the opportunities came from networking, from sending a DM. Nine times out of 10 on LinkedIn, you can see who posted the job. I will then say, hey, I saw that you posted XYZ job. Here are three reasons why you and I need to have a conversation, A, B, and C. I look forward to having this conversation. If they reply, they're going to say something along the lines of, that's really interesting. Let's set up a time. Boom. You just made it into interview number one. If they don't reply, no problem. You can move on to the next person, but it will take you way less time than filling out constant applications. I'm not saying don't fill out applications. What I am saying is if you split your time between networking on LinkedIn with hiring managers and filling out applications, I have a feeling your callbacks are going to be 10x or 20x compared to what you may be facing now. Good. Sorry. Thank you so much. And I made sure to write everything. <laughs> well, the keynotes at least. Yeah. yeah, I know you've been working on a few projects. If you had mm-hmm. to pick one of the projects you've worked on so far, what would be that standout project you would be excited to talk about? It would be it would be my current one, uh, which is like I'm building, uh, you know, not an original one, but I'm building a library with niche components. Yeah, it's still an idea that I'm working on right now. And uh, yeah. It would be this project, actually. Is it? Is it a secret? Is it? No, it's not a secret. It's just like UI components, you know, that like custom UI components, like that you can drag and drop and use. Uh, components that I found out in in different websites that when when I go and look for them in like for example Material UI or Bootstrap or whatever, I don't find them. So I thought, you know, why not build them and release them to the to you know open source them or something. That's so cool. What do you think about that, Danny? No one will ever get mad at somebody open sourcing something, right? So, I mean, if you can build something like that and talk about it and actually get people contributing, that's something that you can definitely talk about in an interview or even outside of an interview just to share on, 
LinkedIn or any other social media platform to get people to notice you. So like instead of an Instagram clone, if instead of saying something like, oh, I worked on an Instagram clone, do you think the kind of project Tarek is working on is the one that's going to draw out all those probing questions where Tarek can show up his skills? One thing I always say is even like, for example, Instagram clone, you can pivot and tweak things to have a unique perspective. So even let's say instead of an Instagram clone, you could say I created a version of a social media application that showcases pictures of food and cross references that against different tags. The way you frame that sounds so different than an Instagram clone to where they ask questions, right? But even like in Tarek's example, I think that would definitely create a conversation, especially if you can have other people contributing to that. Everyone would be interested in at least asking clarifying questions on that kind of technology as well. I love the point you're making because one thing I've seen a lot is that you can be an incredible coder. You can work on projects which are truly impressive, but recruiters and managers, sometimes their attention span or really their time is just Mm -hmm. too limited to give you due consideration. So it's really up to you to pitch yourself and your project. Yeah, you can practice writing a code a lot lot and working on the project, but it sounds to me like you need to practice your pitch as well. Mm -hmm. So when you get that opportunity, you make the most of it. One thing that I always tell people is when you go into an interview, for example, right, you have this audacious task that you have 45 minutes to show them that you're incredible. We already know you're incredible. You know, you're incredible. You know, you're great. You know, the thoughts that you have, but now you have this task where you have to take everything that you know about yourself over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years and convey that in 45 minutes. If you don't practice your pitch, if you don't practice these things, how are you ever going to convey that effectively? For me, for example, I've worked on my elevator pitches millions and millions of times. And if you remember at the very beginning of this call, I took 15 seconds to basically qualify myself to you to say, I've done X, Y, Z. This is why, you know, you should pay attention to me or have a conversation with me, right? It's the same thing in an interview. You're setting up expectations the second you walk in. And if you have your wham, bam, slap them around 15 seconds, here's why I matter. Here's why I am valuable. And here's why you are going to fall in love with me. If you can convey that in 15 seconds, I guarantee you the entire remaining 44 minutes and 45 seconds will be easy streak as opposed to you stumbling your words and not being able to tell them why you matter more than the other thousand applicants that apply for the same opportunity. Hey, Danny, I think when someone hears something like that, they're like, Danny, your pitch is amazing, but I wasn't a fry cook and mm-hmm. I feel like my transformation wasn't like that impressive. Um, also, I'm kind of new to development. I don't feel that proud of my projects. I'm always comparing myself to other people. And yeah, I'm sure they're okay. But compared to other applicants, I just don't have the conviction to speak with as much confidence as you, Danny. What, what would you say to someone? Because I'm, I'm kind of giving a voice, I think, to the anxiety a lot of people feel that it's not so easy to ask about. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking like that? Well, let's just do this live right now. Tara, can you unmute yourself and tell me what you currently do right now? Well, before, you know, before I uh, came to the stage, I actually wrote down the question and I practiced it. <laughs> so I, I am I am very much anxious around crowds. Uh, you know, uh, I'm introvert mm-hmm. by nature. I don't like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. going out or something. I enjoy sitting in front of my uh, beautiful computer and just, you know, program away. And, you know, before I talk, I make sure to practice my talk. Mm-hmm. I make sure to, you know, and of course, I make sure to listen. And to, um, like, for example, while you were talking, I, I did to take notes. That way I could expand upon them and not just, you know, be lost and not know what to say. So, yeah, uh, that's at least that's the way I do it. So, yeah. 
Just, sorry, just once. I don't. I'm not entirely sure. Like it came across. If you, if you want Tarek in it, then we're totally putting oh. you on the spot. So if you want mm-hmm. to yeah. bow out, that's more than okay. But I think what Danny's doing is giving you an opportunity to tell him about your passions and experience and where you're going. And together, we might be able to help you create a consolidated oh. elevator pitch. Okay. Well, what I love to do is, uh, you know, create beautiful looking UI designs <laughs> that works, you know, it's just not about the look, but also about the functionality. And I'm really passionate about those kind of things. And it's the drive that keeps me going when I build something and it works and I, and I'm like, Oh, I, I did this, you know, I can expand upon it and I can, you know, do other things. So that's uh, basically my passion. Do you currently work right now? Or are you a student? I'm a, I'm a full-time student. So something that you could say as a student going into an interview is I've spent the last several years of my life having a very driven focus on the creating very stylish UI designs with a customer-based focus to make sure I can help customers transition from beginning to endpoint and convert them from a viewer into a customer. That's a, okay. uh, an example of the sales pitch off of the three lines of information you just gave. That's an amazing sales pitch. And I wanted to write it, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd so, be honest, if you asked me to recreate it, I'd have to rethink again because I just put <laughs> that out of nowhere. Yeah, all the top of your head. Yeah, I know. That okay. was so much fun. I, I took some notes for you, Tarek, and we'll have a recording, I hope. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool. Thank Man, you. if anybody else wants to do that, raise their hand. That was fun. Let's catch up with the chat here because I saw that, I remember her Discord username is Reiki19, I think, but her name is Marika. Mm-hmm. She asks, what soft skills are good to have? And could I compensate a lack of knowledge in certain technologies with soft skills? Main soft skills that I tell people to definitely work on is number one, communication. I've seen more often than not, and I don't know what just happened with Alex. It's the Danny show now. That's it. Alex is over with. I've taken over the scrimba stage. One thing I'll say is communication is key because if you can demonstrate that you could be on a team and an effective communicator, if you can demonstrate the communication skill, that will be more valuable to a company than someone who is bad at explaining things or someone that can't take business requirements and convert that into something tangible and usable. I've seen, and I've worked at companies where we've had like some of the best developers in the world come apply. And when they can't describe things that they're stuck on, things that they're working on, they're the ones that end up getting cut, not the developer that is probably not creating the best code in the world. It is more more often than not some of the people that are quote unquote the best coding developers, but they are terrible on a team. Teamwork, no company really thrives off of one individual. They're thriving off of teams. So if you can effectively work on a team with five, six, 10, 20 other people, then you are very valuable to a company as opposed to one person that tries to take it all. They, they disregard others and they just do their way. Those are people that they don't think about in the long run. And the other thing that I will even say in that regard is empathy is a big one. So when you can be em- empathetic towards others, whether they're struggling or doing great, that's a very, very good quality to have. The other one, honestly, is paying attention or listening skills, because oftentimes, especially in development, the way you get your tickets is you are given a semi-abstract requirement that needs to be done. Let's say that they're adding a, a customer form on the uh, the landing page of your company's website. So they may say we need a customer form and we need to do XYZ, like just you know take that information and send it. You as a developer, you may need to ask some clarifying questions like, okay, I see these business requirements. 
where is when they press the submit button where are we sending this data which tables is it going to are we actually going to be um parsing this information are we like encrypting any of this information what these are follow-up questions that you need to be asking in order to take that business requirement and literally turn that into something where you are now producing valuable output so a lot of the times business people are not developers at all and so they don't know what actually goes on or what is needed to create these things and that is where you come in with your area of expertise saying i know you want to create a form I, in order to create this form, I need to do these steps. By doing these steps, I need this further information to make sure that I produce exactly what it is that you want. And if you can do that effectively, uh, you'll be in a very, very strong situation. By the way, just another reminder that if you want to come up on the stage and talk to Danny, either with a specific question or maybe to, I really think it's totally worthwhile coming up and talking to Danny about your journey so far and where you're going. I'm willing to bet Danny can help you in a way if you have the, it's not easy. It's not easy coming up on stage, but we're super chill here and you're welcome to do it. All you need to do is raise your hand. Um, but otherwise, I see another question in the chat, Danny, which is about whether you need to know digital marketing and SEO to become a web developer. Nope. I can tell you I didn't learn that until probably my second year in development. Um, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but honestly, that is when I started learning about SEO. And um, I guess it really depends on the role. So if you're going for like, you know, an SEO position, yeah, you'd probably need to know that. But for just a basic developer, no, because even most companies, they have SEO people that will, you know, run like crawls and robots to um, like get all that data and get feed it into Google and all the good stuff. But um, speaking honestly, no, you probably don't. You'll learn it down the road, but I don't think you need to know that. Or I don't think anyone even expects you to know that for your very first position. I can agree more. Yeah, there is there is a certain argument for marketing yourself. And if you write blog posts, yeah. knowing SEO and stuff could be handy. Um, but generally, unless you work on a very customer-facing marketing page, which is there to acquire users, maybe you sit with the marketing team at a company, um, only then, I think, would you really benefit from that contextual knowledge. And to be honest, a lot of it, like there's a lot to talk about when it comes to SEO. But in my experience, on most dev teams, they ask the developer, hey, can you install this pixel on the page? or can you please tweak these like tags or html semantics or something so yeah you can definitely learn that on the job um bmg is asking to come up on the stage let me uh, invite them hey, hey what's I'll happening bmg hello how's alex how's everyone we're doing yeah, good, man how are you yeah going good. good excellent uh, my full name is bongani uh just so you know so basically bmg is just short so I've got a, a question. It's a, a bit, um, I come from a very financial background, like in accounting. And uh, if I look at my LinkedIn profile, it's full of uh, finance stuff, right? So how does then one try to, in, if you're trying to get an entry-level job as a developer, how do you start there if you've got some background in, let's say, for instance, coding? How do you prove that the value that you can add or the job that you're applying to is something that you can qualify for. It's something that I've, I'm trying to navigate at the moment. Just to make sure I understand what you're asking, you're saying your LinkedIn currently is just full of finance stuff and you're trying to pivot that to a developer focus, correct? 100% yes. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the same thing as if you were a student or whether you, know, you, you previously worked in a gas station or a convenience store or a restaurant. It, it, it just start posting the content. Like, here's the thing that people don't realize. Your greatest wins when it comes to marketing yourself and networking and all that is going to come from very consistent progress. One post doesn't change your life. Many posts will. So if you just have, you know, some 
and find that stuff now. That's cool. Start posting all your programming stuff now. Optimize your profile. If you need help with that, check out the LinkedIn series on YouTube. It's free. And make it work for you. Like to give you an idea, like I land in about 4,000 job searches every single week. My profile is turned off for searching for a job. I'm not open to opportunities. And of those 4,000, about 20% or so message me offering me positions every single week. When you optimize your profile, a lot of the hard work is going to be done with that profile searching for you. Like you're going to land in job searches. You're going to match criteria. And then when you're making additional posts supporting what you're doing in your development field, that's going to add to the job searches. That's going to add to the visibility. That's going to add to people checking you out. So it doesn't matter what your previous posts were. And the other thing is no one is ever going through your post like four or five months back, right? So just keep searching, like just keep posting and you'll cover up all that financial stuff. And it's not going to be a really big deal anyway. Okay. And that makes sense. That's make that makes a lot of sense. And uh, just uh, one more to just to add on that question, right? So basically there's a uh, project, there's a uh, free projects that are, you get these on the internet, uh, free pro- data science project, free uh, development project and stuff like that. Does that count as a project that you could include that you did this? Like, for instance, if you're learning something or does it have to be something that is uh, uniquely yours that you went and did? Uh, how do you go around that without actually plagiarizing someone's uh, someone's work or some of these free pro- uh, project ideas that you get on the internet? What do you mean by free project ideas? Are you mean like a tutorial that you're following? Uh, no, it's necessarily tutorial. You find like, uh, let's say, free type of projects like a COVID project, uh, data science mm-hmm. project that you're working on and stuff like that. And then would you include that or does that not apply? I mean, yeah, that's fine. Like no one owns the title of a project, right? Like w- that's the one thing about tech. Like there's going to be a million to-do lists. There's going to be a million of all these other projects. And here's the other thing. Any idea that you've ever had that you think is like world changing, other people have had as well. So it doesn't necessarily matter what the title or what the idea of that project is. What matters is your execution of the idea. And an oh. idea, honestly, nine, 99% of the time is worthless. The execution of that idea is what makes billions and billions of dollars for these big companies, right? Same thing with your project. The idea itself doesn't really matter. What matters is your execution, your ability to drive, and the way you present it. So if it's a COVID tracker, that's cool. Yeah, like that's a great idea. And you can talk about all the algorithms that you utilize and the data that you stored. But what matters more is how you present it how you talk about it, and the code that you use. Because I'll I'll, I'll go into this. I have four steps to landing your first job in tech. Mm -hmm. Number one, obviously, LinkedIn profile. Your LinkedIn profile, there's 675 million users on LinkedIn, 90 million of which are hiring managers, recruiters, and decision makers for businesses. You need to stand out where they hang out. Simple as that. If they were at a restaurant, I tell you, go to that restaurant. Well, they're at LinkedIn. That's where you need to be. Number two is your portfolio site. This doesn't necessarily need to be technical savvy, but it does need to look appealing to the eye. And I'll tell you why. Most hiring managers have never written a line of code a day in their life. They don't know the difference between React and Angular. They don't know the difference between C Sharp and Java. The only thing that they know is they've been given a set of job descriptions that they need to fill. Simple as that. So when your portfolio site actually looks 
good to them visually on a subliminal level they're like oh this person probably knows what they're doing and then they pass that website on to the actual decision maker for the role who's technical and that is where step number three comes in your projects your github your portfolio items that is why i'm talking about these projects these projects prove to them that i say i know html css and javascript now here's my proof that i know this thing everyone can say they know something but when you actually prove it that makes them feel more comfortable in having conversations with you so whether you make this an html css a javascript whether you use a framework whether you use backend or front end whatever what matters is when you're showing this project you are proving you know what you know step number four is a resume that matches um the keywords for the ats software to go over but that's the reason why i keep talking about these projects Step number three is where this comes into play. Because if you have a good project that you could talk about in an interview, number one, you're controlling that interview. Number two, you're controlling their interest. Number three, you're proving you know what you know. And that is the key here. Prove what you know so that way they feel more comfortable in trusting BMG. Well, yeah, I know that's all my questions are answered. Thanks, I mean. <laughs> well, no problem. Hey, man. Happy to have Thank you for so much. Thank you so much for coming up. Thank you so much. We have a few more questions um, popping up in the chat. They're really good questions as well. Danny asks, if I could ask Danny, what do you think about learning on public learning, like show your work, learning in public on sites like Dev.2 and Twitter? Um, I, I, I want to ask a follow-up, a sort of a pre-question to this, like is promoting yourself a good idea and is Dev.2 and Twitter the way to do it? Yes. And here's why. Just like portfolio items, anything you write about yourself is only helping you. And going back to something we talked about earlier with SEO, if you're promoting yourself, whether it's something that you learned or something that you built or you're sharing some information, that's going to help you land in searches anyway. And you never know where that one dream job is going to come from. Someone may be looking at blog articles that come across yours and like, oh, this developer could be doing something great. I'll actually tell you a very good friend of mine. I won't name his name. He's kind of well-known in this like development space. He was actually going for an interview and he was writing articles on React and things like that. And in the interview, they were talking about a concept and he said, oh yeah, I know about that. Like, and they got into the conversation and come to find out the interviewer actually read his blog article the day before without realizing it was his. And so they were able to share the laugh. He ended up getting the role, but you never know where that blog article where that learning in public can help you. But the other thing is when you write those things, it also puts you in front of developers. Developers know other de developers and developers know their hiring managers. That is a great way to get a referral into a company as well when you prove to them that you are very good at what you're doing. The only downside to using a dev2 or something like that is you didn't start earlier or it's not your own domain. But with that being said, by using dev2 or hash node or whatever else, you are instantly putting yourself in front of their entire audience instead of having to drive traffic to your own websites. And the cool thing is in those Dev2 articles, you can leave your links for your social media, like your LinkedIn profile, et cetera, and you can start building your audience to follow you that way. So if someone read your article and really liked what you're talking about, you can redirect them to your Twitter or your LinkedIn, and now you're building up connections and you're networking with other professionals. That is a great, great way to do that. Highly recommend that. I'm a very big believer in learning in public. And here's the thing. I'm not the best developer in the world. I doubt I will ever be. But that doesn't stop me from getting these great opportunities. That doesn't stop me from working at 
places like Google, for example, where I'm working at now, that doesn't stop me from being able to share my information. You don't have to be the world's biggest genius to be a very valuable developer. There are people that I know that will code circles around me. It doesn't stop me from making six figures in this industry. It's not going to stop you either. Share your information. If someone points out something that you shared was wrong or bad, that is a great way for you to learn from that as well. I can't tell you how many times I've made a tweet where I'm like, oh, this right here, this is going to be the best information that like I have, that this is a, a great practice that we constantly do. And then once we get into tweeting it, I'll get comments like, oh, this is outdated or like people don't do this anymore. And I've learned something from that. You never know where your next lesson will come from. And if you're too scared to share that, you'll never learn from other developers. That is why I love things like meetups and communities like this. If you don't know something, that is a great way to learn is by conversating and um, collaborating with others. So when you learn in public, you will end up picking up tips from a lot of other human beings as well. On the topic of Twitter versus, or, or not necessarily against, but Twitter and Dev.2, when it comes to Twitter, I think a lot of people associate their success on the platform with the number of followers they have. What do you think about that? Is that a good objective to have? Like, is it reasonable to say, oh, as part of my plan to get a job, I'm going to shoot for 1,000 followers on Twitter? I will tell you, I've met some absolute geniuses, like absolute geniuses that have 150 followers on Twitter. And I've met some, I'm looking for a nicer word than moron, but I've met some people that have made me go insane that have half a million. Your follower count doesn't equate to your genius. Your follower count doesn't equate to your abilities. Like your follower count is a direct representation of how much you run your mouth. I mean, I have, I don't even know what is that now, 75,000, 76,000, something like that, uh, that many followers. It doesn't mean I'm a, an amazing developer. It means I run my mouth. It means that, and I'm glad for this, that people enjoy the content, they enjoy the talks. I speak at universities and boot camps and companies all over the world, and it, it's just direct representation of that. Like, I'm here today with you because I was able to network with Alex, and Alex liked my talks. That is where this stage is coming from. That is where the last live stream that I did with Scrumma came from. That's how I meet people. I network, I talk, I run my mouth. It doesn't mean my code is the best in the world. It doesn't mean my code is the worst in the world. Your follower account is not going to give you your opportunities. And the biggest thing is when I see people like always preach about follower account or likes or things like that, and they try to like game the algorithm, what ends up happening with those people is they get almost like addicted to the high of, oh, my tweet got 10,000 likes or 5,000 likes. I've got tweets that have 20,000 likes. I've got tweets that have 1,000 likes. I've got tweets that have three likes, right? But for me, my purpose, like I know exactly like down to a science now how to game the Twitter algorithm. If I want a tweet to go viral, I, I pretty much have some kind of good idea on how to stack the deck in my favor to make that happen. I don't care about that. And you shouldn't either because it's all superficial. What you should really focus on is whatever content that you are putting out is connecting with your audience. It is resonating. And here's the thing. There are people that have two, three, four times the amount of followers I have that don't get the opportunities that I do. And it's not because of my story. The story, maybe it's 2% of my overall appeal, right? Because here's the thing. Within the first 10 seconds or 20 seconds of this talk, 
we spoke about my story and we haven't referenced it since then, but that hasn't changed the fact that the absolute information that I'm giving you is actionable, it's relatable, that it makes sense, and that it's a good strategy for you to take. Your content matters. The information that you're presenting to your audience matters. It doesn't matter if you're doing something to get these likes or these followers. What matters is if whatever you're sharing actually makes sense and connects with your audience, I would rather have a hundred very connected and engaged followers than a million of followers and they don't know who I am or care about me except for like the cheesy little posts that I make to get likes. And there are followers that like there are people out there that have millions of followers and I have quite a few accounts that have like I've saved on a list where they have like a million followers and their tweets get like five likes because their audience is not engaged with the things that they're even talking about. So when you have a hundred people following you, but they know you, they engage with you and they like your material. And when you share ideas, they're like, this is a really good idea. Those hundred people will fight harder for you than a thousand that just passively likes whatever it is that you post. So don't care if it's one follower or 1 million care about what you're actually posting. And I guarantee you the connections you make from that will give you more benefit than anything you've ever done previously. 100%. Like if your goal is to get a thousand followers, uh, you can just go and buy a thousand followers. Like it's not a good, it's not actually a good goal. Whereas by the way, I'll just add, cause I don't think you, you mentioned it, but I'm, I have a feeling you might agree with me here, um, which is that it's not just about your audience and promoting something or bringing value to your specific audience. You can have a lot of very high quality one-on-one interactions with people on Twitter. Um, I personally got two of my jobs just by follow. I didn't have many followers. I didn't even think about producing a lot of value on Twitter actually. Um, but just by reaching out to people and starting a conversation, some really great things can happen. And I've heard from a few people that if you do 100 days of code, which is a great, I think, um, framework almost for learning in public, you gain a lot of benefits because you almost participate in this sub community. You start to recognize people, the more familiar you, familiar you are with people, the more you tend to like them really. And then you can more easily reach out and say, oh, cool, we can maybe collab or, oh, wow, I saw you got a job at this place. How did you, how did you get it? Could you maybe bring me on for the ride? Like, is there an opportunity for someone else there? It could be the next day or it could be two years in the future, right? Like, it's great to make those one-on-one connections. And I, I see that we have somebody with their hand raised so we can bring them up. I want to quickly answer this question because it's gotten quite a few likes and it's from Arvind. I want to ask that I'm a student studying in India, but degrees a must for getting a job in my country, which is very true. But many companies take remote developers. So if I want to get, how can I try and does it go, is it good to go for remote jobs in international timings? I mean, yes. Like here's the thing when it comes to remote jobs and with me having an international audience, I get this question like almost every single day right now. You are competing with the whole world if you want a remote position, right? It's not like you in your local area where you're competing with people that live in your area. When you want a remote position, now you're competing with the entire world. So by doing so, you need to be, and this is this is key here, you need to be so damn good that you're undeniable. You need to be so damn good that when you walk into an interview, they'll say, what is this person's name? And then after you leave, they're studying your name because they never want to make that mistake again. 
You need to be so damn good that they want to be like, I want to turn this person down, but I just can't. If you're that damn good, you will get that job. The thing is, a lot of people that try to get these remote positions are people that have never even worked in development, for example. And now you're expecting a company and not only just another country to train you, but not just train you, but train you on systems that they utilize. It's a very difficult task when you have no experience. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I am going to say if you want to stack the deck in your favor, experience speaks for you in this respect because if you're coming up as a junior developer and you're trying to land with everybody else that is a junior developer and you bring nothing special to the table or no special set of skills that you specialize in it's very very hard to get those opportunities i'm not going to say it's impossible because nothing's impossible but i am going to say is the odds are stacked against you in that respect cool let's get Dorisa up here. And if we have time, we can also invite Moss because we've got, what, about five minutes left? Hey, Dorisa. Yeah, Welcome to the stage. Yeah. What would you like to ask Danny? I'm just starting out and I, it's overwhelming. And I'm just wondering if you have mm-hmm. any, like, what are the best resources for a person like me who's just starting out? And, you know, I might have a little bit of background with like HTML and all that, but I'm just wondering, is there better resources? I'm doing a code camp and Scrimba, but I'm just mm-hmm. totally lost to other resources mm-hmm. outside of that, I guess. I mean, to be honest, those are like some of the best resources you could ever have. I started on Free Code Camp. I'll always talk about Free Code Camp. I love them. But Scrimba has some really great content as well with a very interactive um, experience, which is great. And the thing with that is, honestly, in, in the beginning, it's going to be overwhelming. There's a ton to learn. It never stops. And here's the thing. like People ask me, like, how long will it be before I'm a master at JavaScript? I've been using JavaScript for four and a half years. I still feel like I scratched the surface. It's always changing. It's always evolving. I, there's oftentimes I feel like you as well. I'm like, this is just so much content and information to learn. But that is also one thing like to keep in perspective. That is also the reason why these positions pay so high. They're not paying you to follow a YouTube tutorial to solve their problems. They're paying you to be a problem solver, to figure it out and to solve it, right? That is why we we get six figures in this industry when you've been in here for a little while. So keep going with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It's okay. like if you, For me, I feel like you should probably spend like a week, week and a half on HTML and probably about a couple of weeks on CSS because those things are always going to be things that you can research, Google search, bring back to the table, and you're going to always be improving. But the the faster, I don't want to say the faster so you rush, but once you get to JavaScript, it all kind of starts piecing together. And the way that I always explain this is HTML is like the walls of a house, right? Mm. CSS is like the paint, the furniture, the fixtures. It makes everything look nice. JavaScript is like the electricity inside the walls. It gives the house function. You don't necessarily see what it's doing, but when you combine all three together, now you have a home. So once you can combine all three, a lot of it starts clicking for you in a really, really big way. And I think whether you just started or you've been doing this for a while, just be very, very consistent. It doesn't matter if you spend, you know, 10 hours in a day or an hour a day. I would rather you spend an hour a day every day than to spend 10 hours one day, burn out, and then not do anything for the rest of the week. The consistency makes you better more than the quantity. So be very consistent in your learning and give yourself the permission to take your time in learning. So often people rush trying to learn something 
And one thing that I always equate to is like a lot of these boot camps say you could be a full stack developer in 90 days. You can get that dream job in 90 days. You know that show 90 day fiance? They can't even get the fiance in 90 days. And here you're going to get a brand new career making six figures in 90 days. Give yourself the permission to take your time. And I guarantee you it's going to pay off in the long run. Thank you, Danny. And thank you, Darisa. Um, everybody listening, if you, I think Darisa, one other thing that could help you is community and friendship. So if anybody feels like they want to help Darisa and answer questions about code or guide her through it a little bit, maybe show her in the stage chat channel if she can message you for help later. Um, but Danny, I know that you've got a hard stop, haven't you? Yeah, I can take one more question because I see like we still have a couple of hands. I'll take okay, one I want, I, I really, I really want you to meet Enzo. Enzo, welcome to the stage. And thank you, Darisa. Sorry to um, not give you an opportunity to follow up. We've just got a couple of minutes left there. I hope that helped. I appreciate it all. Thank you. And to answer this real fast from Ayushman Gupta, I want to ask that I'm an engineer and graduate and learning front end course. But in the future, after completing this course, what to do after this? What do you do after this? You do everything that I've talked about. You do, you set up your LinkedIn, you set up your resume, you set up your portfolio site, you set up those things because no one's going to pay attention to you otherwise. So put yourself in a position where they have to pay attention to you and give them a reason to talk about you. Go ahead, Enzo. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, yeah. sir. Uh, I'm still trying to learn how to do this, but anyway, I'm going to be brief. I'm a 57 year old truck driver, found Scrimba about a month ago, have fallen in love with it. And it don't make a difference where I'm at. Um, if I'm home, I'm coding HTML, mm -hmm. CSS. I'm doing the uh, front end developer career path. Um, I'm interactive with the community as much as I can. I try to be helpful. I understand the team environment. Um, you know, nobody solicited me, but I'll go out there and answer questions, help people out any, any way I can. And if I don't have the answer, I'll point them in the right direction. The bottom line is I have a passion for this. I stop at a truck stop. I pull out my laptop. I'm taking a picture of myself. I'm posting it on Discord just to motivate other people that, hey, look, if I can drive all over these states in my rig and still find time and, and become a coder, so can you. Okay. So my, I guess my one question is this. I don't have anything except the front-end developer career path for the last month. So I haven't even thought about putting together a portfolio. I guess mm -hmm. where I'm at right this moment, what is the one next step or two that I could be incorporating with what I'm doing right now? Or should I simply finish the front-end developer career path and then worry about my next step? I would finish what you've said now before tackling on more because a okay. portfolio site is only really useful for you when you've made several good projects. And like, because what's the use of a portfolio site when you don't have projects to put on it, right? So I would rather you focus on the learning, focus on the project building and create content that is worth you putting on your portfolio site, then focus on the portfolio. Too often also, I find people like, especially as beginners, before they've made any real project, they make a portfolio site. It's like, then what do you put on that? You're going to put on your YouTube tutorials that you followed. Nobody wants to look at that. So make some really, really good projects. Then you can spend a weekend or two throwing together a portfolio site that displays all the information. But the content matters more than the actual portfolio site itself. So build some good projects and have something worth showcasing. That will help you out way more in the long run than trying to put something together now without having anything to put on it. Because if I were a, was a hiring manager and I found your portfolio site and then I saw nothing on it, 
I'm just passing on to the next person anyway. It's not going to help you. Okay, thank you very much. You reinforced what I already thought. I just didn't want to wait six months from now and have somebody say, why didn't you do this already? Because right. I already felt, listen to me, it's going to take me a year or longer being in a rig, supporting my family and learning coding. I just felt like I should finish what I'm doing and then ask, you know, Alex, Pear or, or Leanne, somebody, what, what is my next step? But thank you so much yeah. for taking my, my call. No problem. I enjoyed all this time with all of y'all. I do have to jump. I have a meeting that I'm five minutes late for, but I was I was enjoying this so much that I was willing to be late. But um, hopefully Alex and I can work out something. We do this again. If y'all really enjoyed it, bother Alex until he calls me back, I guess. <laughs> do it. And Danny, where can people find you online? You can check me out anywhere. I'm D Thompson Dev. Um, Twitter, I'm D Thompson Dev. If you want to join my Discord, the link is in my bio on my Twitter, and you can check me out there. At pretty much anywhere you see this, like this icon that I have on my profile now, you'll find that image on all my stuff. So you can add me after you see that. All right, man. Thank you so much, and thank you everybody for tuning in. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you again, Danny. Hope you have a good day. Thank you. All. Appreciate you.